Hello, this is David Levake with Jim Paulson, and you are listening to Talking Preps, the Star Tribune's high school sports podcast. Jim, we're back again to give the people what they want. Yeah, and you know what? What they want this time of year tends to be football knowledge. Not that the other sports aren't important, but this is, you know, this is the year when football kind of dominates the sporting landscape. Um, and that's no shot at the other sports. It's soccer and volleyball. When volleyball is a, a sport I, I, I love to cover, but football seems to be uh, what kind of dominates the conversation. And David, we're already at week six in the football season here. Can you believe that we're almost we're only a couple of weeks away from the state playoffs and the end of the regular season? Uh, yes and no. I mean, for for us, you know, the average high school fan player, coach, whatever, you're only going to stick around as long as your team is participating. And for so many teams, that ends after the first round of the playoffs. And for those of us that are locked in to following it all the way to the end, that second portion of the season to me is just as long as the first. And I, when I say long, I don't mean that like it's a, I'm, I'm, it's drudgery. I it just, the length of it, it, it's it's almost the same. I haven't gone back to look, but you know, in the regular season, what we cover, we we each cover about nine games, I believe, because we have the first uh, weekend is Thursday and Friday, and then we have one week per game thereafter, uh, with a few exceptions sometimes. So we have nine week, nine games that we cover, and then I would bet the playoffs is the same grind, and maybe even more so. I know that I will. Uh... And probably you too will cover more than one game during a week during the playoffs. You know, one at the 6A level, one at a lower level. Um, particularly exactly. the first week of playoffs where you get um, Tuesday, and, and Saturday, or Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. I guess there gets to be an awful lot of football. Not that I'm complaining, mind you. Uh, no, I, no, I, but that, I, that's I, why. <laughs> sorry. The place I enjoy being the most when covering high school sports is at a high school football game on a Friday night. I mean, yeah, if I had sorry. one athletic spot to be and it talks about pros and college um and high schools i would still say a good competitive highly anticipated high school football game is probably where i'd i'd always choose to be that'd be my first choice yeah that's a there's a strong uh you know hockey games can get really good but i, I think football is something different because it's just a the outdoors the state you know it's everything about it. it's just it's just wonderful um yeah. So it's a, so it can it does it feel like it? Yeah, sure. But I, I think of it more long term, like, yeah, we still got a lot, a lot of games to go for us. You know, and the funny thing is about the high school sports football, it's because it's a community thing. And I've said this many times before, but the thing I love about it is it's it's two hours on a Friday night when the community comes together. You got parents together chatting. You've got the old guys standing around watching the game and seeing how it used to be. You've got kids out at a game being social. And they don't have to worry about being told what to do or, or having somebody watching over them or talking out of term. They may not even be paying attention to the game. You got the little kids back in the corner playing uh, football, all you dreaming about the day that they're going to be uh, playing under those lights on a Friday night. It's uh, it's just something special about a, a Friday night high school football game. And it's not even about the football necessarily. It's just about bringing that community and the fans of that team together. That's what it seems so amazing to me. All right, enough poetry. I got to figure out what you did with your picks in the Associated Press poll because in 6A in particular, we only have 30 teams, but, you know, so one-third of them have to be ranked. I had a kind of a hell of a time figuring out how to put that together this week. What did you come up with? Well, I know who's number one. <laughs> that was the easy yeah. part. 
Yeah. Know, like the South, who've been number one all year long. Um, then it's kind of I kind of go by the uh, you know the records. I and mean, if you're an undefeated team, even if you haven't beat everybody that's been you know terrific, and every opponent has been fantastic, and you've had a, a lesser schedule, there's still something to be said about an undefeated record. I mean, you don't win five games in a row. You don't go five and zero oh without being a pretty darn good team to be able to figure out ways to win games because that's just hard to do. So I, I'll go with that, and then I'll just start comparing records and. You know, um, for example, Centennial, who hadn't been ranked all year long, has gone back to back with uh, victories over Maple Grove and Wyzetta, two teams that were undefeated at the time. So they they may be three and two, but man, that's a team that deserves to be a, a top ten team right now. The way they're playing. So you have that's that's kind of one of the challenges of this. You have a team that's hot like Centennial and deserves to be ranked. So okay, but then what do you do with Shakopee because they're sitting number three. And I guess you could say, well, you should probably move them to two because number two was at a loss. But we know Shakopee's quarterback is out for the season. And so are they really going to beat Eden Prairie this week in, in a situation where they're not at full strength? I don't know. So what do you so what do you do with the do, do you move Eden Prairie to two then? Because they just walloped Prior Lake and Shakopee's quarterback is hurt. Eden Prairie could have guys out. I don't know. We don't study these injury reports. Uh, word on the street just traveled about Shakopee's quarterback. But so that you know, it's so it's it's and then six A has a whole other debate with the maroon and gold divisions. The gold being the the teams playing the top teams, and the maroon being a little bit second tier. And so, how do you rate maroon teams that are undefeated? I, I can't personally rate them more than about eighth on the list. And so, it, it's 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 really a it's a real challenge. I, I agree with you. That's why I try. I try to remove um, when I do the rankings. I try to remove um, speculation and presumption and things like that from the process. And like I said, because you know it's easy to when you, when you talk about Shakopee, they're still undefeated, and what they've done over five weeks deserves that ranking. Now, if they go out against Eden Prairie and and, and just get uh, walloped, um, then you have to reassess. But at this point, they're five and zero, oh, and they've deserved it, and they've beaten some pretty good teams. And last week, it sounded like. Uh, Without Dominic Jackson, their quarterback, they still went out and shut out Lakeville South. And that's a defense that they haven't had to lean on their defense at all this year, and they showed they can do it. So I, I, I'm i willing to, to wait until something happens to uh, drop them down. They're still, in my mind, still deserve to be ranked number two for what they've proven on the field. When you talk about the, the teams in the in the maroon and the gold divisions, I agree with you, but, I'm, but one coach told me um, – Last week, that he said, uh, we know that we're the JV. And he's a coach on a on a very good maroon division team, but I'm I you know I'm willing to give them cut them a little sack because it's still kids playing high school football. While they may not be the team out there that's going to be able to beat Lakeville South this year because they've been dominant, I think any other any other teams at any other uh, uh, level down there, any of the other teams in Class Six A could beat each other for the most part. The good teams, which is proven by who would have thought that I didn't think that Centennial would be. Uh, at the point they're at. Matter of fact, they could be four and one because they had St. Michael Albertville beat um, 16 to nothing, and St. Michael Albertville came back with, I think, 19 late second half points to win that game. So, you know, I, I guess it all, it, all, it all to me depends on how how it's done on the field, how you prove it on the field. And that, that's kind of where I tend to, to lean on. So I can actually not have to worry about uh, personal opinions and, and things like that. Fair enough. Fair enough. The, um, uh, where would you like to go next with this? Dave, you wrote a really poignant story 
on Tuesday that uh, that impressed me about uh, a girls tennis player. And let's be honest, we don't give girls tennis nearly as, as much coverage as we probably could deserve if we had the time and the staffing and the space to run as much as we wanted to. But uh, your story on uh, a Maple Grove tennis player on Tuesday was was it was pretty touching. Can you tell, uh, tell us a little bit more about that? Ms. Zoe Atkins, who is the number one ranked player in Class 2A tennis, is has had a great career. That she's a, a senior in her sixth year, playing all of those at number one singles. She's got more than 100 career victories. I don't know that that statistic. We we don't have a like a top ten of of tennis career uh, uh, champ or career victories uh, totals. But if you're if you're over 100 victories, that's I mean that's 3,000 hits in baseball, isn't it? I mean that's that's that kind of statistical milestone. Yeah, I know that Whitney Tani, if you die, I think holds the state record for career victories at 166. But you know, she was amazing and never lost a match from the time she started in seventh grade. Other than that, getting to 100 victories is absolutely a very uh, significant milestone because you think about that, that's five years of 20 victories a year. And when you only play 17 regular season matches, you know, that, that means that you had to have had, had some pretty decent success either before eighth grade or in the playoffs. So that's a very, very um, uh, commendable milestone, no question about it. Yeah, and along the way, Atkins has played in the state tournament four times, to, took third one year and fourth another, and everything kind of was going along. She'd come in after her two brothers, Charlie and Zach, who they were key players for the Maple Grove boys tennis team and helped the boys get to the state tournament for the first time in 2012 and kind of established Maple Grove. And so, you know, everything's kind of going along. And then, uh, unfortunately, she lost her father in May 2020. Uh, Doug was, is, is her father's name. He died unexpectedly. And uh, that was that started a really difficult year for uh, for Zoe. And uh, I mean, you think about this, too. You've also we're also still pl- plowing our way through the pandemic at that point. Uh, it's and then to lose a family member on top of that. It's it's that's awful. And and uh, and to be a high school kid, no less. So uh, Zoe, uh, we talked and, you know, you're never sure what you're going to get talking to a high school kid as far as where they want to go with all that. And I understand, and I'd, I'd be willing to follow her lead, uh, but she is a tremendously mature young woman. And she said things that, that I really kind of caught my, it, it's really kind of made me stop and think after our interview, just how uh, smart and how wise she is. And, and she talked about after her father's passing, she said the year after he died is probably the hardest year I will ever go through. It was horrible. There were moments I struggled playing. I'd get on the court and I'd feel fine, but it was always hanging around. It was, uh, you know, it was, you know, I was empty. I felt empty. I didn't feel that spark when I was playing. So she, she really went through it, and and I, I commend her for her courage to to get through it and and to talk to some newspaper reporter about it and have it out there. I, I hope that it's something that other people will read because we all deal with. Uh, tragedy it's at some point and, and hard times and we hope it's something people read and, and are able to draw from Zoe's strength and uh, able to apply that to their own situation. You know I don't want to diminish the situation by overemphasizing the importance of tennis uh, because to some you might look at it and say it's really insignificant but did she mention that tennis in any way allowed her to, uh, to get through 
the tragedy and, and, and the heartbreak of losing her father? Was it something she could lean on, something she could lose herself in? Did she ever talk about that? Well, she got to that point eventually. Initially, it didn't happen. Unfortunately, uh, you know, her father passing in May of uh, 2020 and June, or Father's Day, rather, which is in June, a few weeks after her father's death, she tried playing in a in a tournament of some prestige outside of the high school um, confines. It's the United Universal Tennis Rating Tournament. And she just couldn't. It, it, whatever release and sanctuary tennis would later bring again, she couldn't find it that at that point. So I asked her about that and, and uh, there wasn't like a magic moment of, yeah, yeah. Tennis was my sanctuary and, and the court was my place where I could forget. It's, it's always there. And it was just a matter of how is she going to accept the situation and how is she going to uh, find her own uh, way to, to reignite the, the passion that she plays with. And so uh, it, it, it tennis became a good distraction, a, a good other place to put her energy, but it took a little while to get there. You know, and, and uh, I just have to commend a, a player like Zoe and her family for, for helping her get through that. And I'm sure they're all going through it. I don't want to pretend to be an amateur psychologist or anything like that, but, uh, but um, the fact that they've been able to, to move forward and still have a maintained, she's been able to maintain a level of success that uh, says an awful lot about, about her character and, uh, I guess, you know, when tragedy happens, you really don't have a choice but to move on and, and accept it and or else you, you know, you can shrivel up and and uh, into nothing and not do anything. So that's that's commendable to her. And again, you use the word courage. I think that that's the perfect word in a situation like that. So you're going to go on to cover a lot of the tennis uh, state tournament, which is uh, the playoffs have just started now this week and we're going to start whittling down to the top teams and the top players. I'm told we can we can kind of expect Zoe, Zoe Atkins to be there toward the end. Is that is that uh, in agreement with how you are looking at the field? Well, she's the number one ranked player in the state. Yeah, and she definitely has, uh, has deserved it. She's beaten a lot of the top players, and if you look at the USTA ranking, she deserves to be up there as well. So, uh, tennis is a sport that doesn't lend itself to a whole lot of upsets, particularly at the team level, because there's it's a team, it's an individual sport within a team concept. And so you, if, if you have a team that's going to lose, it means an awful lot of individual upsets have to happen at the same time. At the, at the individual level, most of these players have known each other for a long, long time, even outside of the high school level. Uh, they've been playing each other in USTA tournaments, things and, and, and all across the, the region and the state and, and even nationally. So uh, yeah, and, and if, if Zoe's ranked number one, she definitely deserves it. She's got, she's put in the time and the effort and had, has the victories and the, the uh, the resume to deserve that right now I think the, she looks like the the number one. There's a, a girl at uh, Minnetonka, Sarah Shabazz, who's going to be a, a, a chief competitor against her and uh, one of her chief opponents. And Nicole Ridenauer at uh, Roseville. Those are the three girls that are looking like the odds-on favorites. To uh, if you put odds on a girls' tennis tournament, and Lord knows nobody gambles on girls' tennis. Um, I'd take people. action on that if you got some money to throw yeah. around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just have money to throw around. I was just going to throw it in the gutter, but maybe I'll bet on girls' tennis instead. Thanks for giving me the option. <laughs> anyway, so a terrific story, by the way, Dave. That's that's definitely a story worth reading. And that's kind of one of the reasons why you want to do cover high school sports, to have an opportunity to tell those stories. Yeah, and it was a pleasure to tell it. So I thank Zoe, your family, your mother, uh, Jody, they're just really nice people. And it was a 
pleasure to work with them on this and all the best to her as the playoffs approach. And I hope she's got a long run toward the final few matches of the season. That would be a fun way to put a exclamation point on her season. Is she going to play in college somewhere? Uh, she's in the pr- uh, midst of very uh, visits and she's got certainly prospects and it's just, you know, she'll have to make a decision here about a month from now, but, uh, she'll, she'll be somewhere. She wants to play. She's got, she got the colleges want her to play. So it's just a matter of where she decides to go. And where are we going next? So we, what's that? Yeah. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Did I interrupt you there? You interrupted it. Really attempted a twinkle toes transition to your story coming out Friday. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a story on on Friday about uh, uh, we're going to the other end of the spectrum about uh, the uh, origins, kind of the origin of Eden Prairie football. I mean, do we talk Eden, Eden Prairie too much? Sometimes people have, have accused us of that, but it's been the preeminent football program in the state for a long time. But where did it start? Well, the man that began it all, a gentleman named Kurt Kanadi, um, was a teacher and uh, a young teacher at the school in the mid '50s. They, uh, they started the first Eden Prairie football program in 1957, and he coached it through 1968 um, through a number of lean years and uh, starting from scratch from building his own goalposts out of two by fours on a field that was only 80 yards long to uh, to uh, setting them up for their first winning season and the first conference championship when he retired. Um, thing about Kurt is he's still around. He still can be found in the press box on uh, Friday nights running the clock on the scoreboard and the scoreboard these are these are the the new you know complicated um scoreboards that we have it's not just running a clock anymore on a on a you know, lighted scoreboard so then he's still doing that and he's 90 years old uh, very active very uh, uh young looking he recently suffered a uh, uh fall and uh they had to do surgery to remove uh bleeding on his brain he got out of the uh, out of the hospital just feeling chipper, and he's back doing everything once again, um, like he had been doing before. Not only does he run the clock at football games, he is a starter for the track team. He's active in the Lions Club in Eden Prairie, and he's uh, been busy for the past couple of years trying to revive a parade for Schooner Days in Eden Prairie, which they haven't had since the '60s. And so he's definitely a man with a, with a, uh, a lot going on in Eden Prairie. I'm just going to chance on Friday to introduce you to the man who started it all, Kurt Gennady. You know, over the last couple of years, football coach Mike Grant, Eden Prairie football coach Mike Grant, they've had some losses in that program in terms of people that have been there a long time. Um, the names escape me, but I think they were some assistant coaches. But I've seen him get emotional about uh, guys that, that are no longer with the team and with the program. And I'm wondering... Uh, so, so as the older Mike gets, the more it seems to mean to him, the people that, that have surrounded him at Eden Prairie, uh, through, through the success that he's enjoyed. What did he have to say about, uh, Kurt? Well, the first thing he said was, you know, funny thing is a lot of people don't remember Kurt because he's, because he is 90 years old and it was, you know, 50 years since he actually coached the team. But the fact that he's still giving to the program, that he still wants to be involved in the program, they, he, do, he does go down and talk to the team once in a while and, and observe practices, and, and he's welcome. Mike said that he told uh, uh, Kurt that uh, he's got that job running the clock as long as he wants it. You know, as long as he's feeling fine to go up and, and sit in the booth and do it, that's his job. Because I think I quoted Mike in the story as saying, I'm fiercely loyal. And if you learn anything from Bud Grant, his father, when he's going to the Vikings, loyalty was something that was a, uh, a bedrock of the football programs that uh, Bud Grant had. 
And uh, I think that's the same with Mike. And that's commendable to make sure that you're honoring and uh, uh, the guys that came before you. And he said that uh, um, that's the best part about Kirk Kanati is that people think that you want to start new programs. You want to start new teams. Everybody wants to hit the ground running. They want to be good right away. It's good to know that Kurt's still out there and that he's a representative of how much work and time and dedication and vision it takes to actually begin a program and that he's still out there able to enjoy the fruits of it a little bit right now is is a, a pretty a pretty wonderful thing. That is a wonderful thing. I look forward to reading that. It's I, I enjoy to hear about the folks that the architects and because you're not going to those, you know, 90 year olds, you know, they're not, they can't get those everywhere. You know, you gotta, you better appreciate them hell out of them while you have them because they, they like, what was the, what's the phrase institutional memory they, they have that. And it's, it's worth tapping into. Well, and, and he's, he's talking when he moved out to Eden Prairie, um, there was nothing there. You know, it was, a, it was a, a unincorporated township and their first, uh, the senior class in 1957 was like 13 kids. Now you're talking <laughs> about Eden Prairie that graduates 920 kids in a class. You're talking yeah. about about how things how things have changed over the years, and he's been there to witness it all. He barely had a huddle. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? He did say that they threw the ball a little bit. They weren't. Uh, oh, okay. There wasn't just a, wasn't just the three yards and a cloud of dust that football tended to be so frequently back in those days. They were. He wasn't afraid to to get some guys that could actually throw the football. Um, and, and I, I think that's, that's great to hear that, uh, that the, he had, was a little bit forward thinking. I mean, Kurt was a great athlete growing up. He actually played high school football against Paul Giel. Um, Kurt mm. grew up in St. Uh, in St. Charles, went to St. Charles and he played, played the high school game, uh, against Paul Giel, who was at Winona at the time. If that name rings a bell, the, the former Gopher great. So, so much history there. So many memories and good stories to be tapped. I'm glad I had a chance to, uh, to spend some time with him. Uh, sounds great. Looking forward to that. Anything else before we wrap her today? Um, no, I think that's about it. We've got, uh, like I said, week six of football coming up this week um, and some big games. Where are you going to be on Friday night, David? Woodbury plays Park Cottage Grove for the first time since 2014. So I will check out a little District 833 rivalry action. And that is that is an, an, uh, a rivalry right over on the east side. Um, that was, I think, you know, Eastridge stepped in and kind of, kind of you know, was well, an interloper in that interdistrict rivalry, but it was for a long time it was uh, Park and Woodbury. Um, so that's always a game worth watching. I'll be at uh, Maple Grove, Maple Grove and Wyzetta, um, which is another game. Two teams that both lost to Centennial uh, and got uh, had their undefeated seasons um, blemished by that. So uh, that should be a, a fun game to be at as well. And don't forget, we do have Shakopee at Eden Prairie on Friday as well, number two versus number three. So and there's a lot of good football this week. That sounds good. We'll have it all for you, startribune.com, mnfootballhub.com. Uh, check us out, and uh, we will look forward to visiting with you next week. Thanks a lot.